Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. Using their talents for God's glory. Grateful for that. Join me in 1 John this morning, chapter 2, page uh, 984 there in your pew Bible. Continuing with our series of uh, Discovering Life from 1 John chapter 2, page 984. I have a book of quotes uh, and stories from Dr. Billy Graham. I don't remember who gave me the book, but I've had it for for quite some time. And it sits on my bookshelf at home, and occasionally I'll flip through the book and and just kind of read Dr. Graham's quotes and uh, thumbing through that book. One of the quotes that Dr. Graham, Billy Graham shared was about one of his visits to Seattle, Washington. He had a, a, a conference there. It wasn't so much a preaching conference as it was a gathering of ministers and preachers and missionaries, evangelists, coming together in Seattle, Washington to discuss how to do evangelism more effectively, how to be church more effectively, how to be more effective in making God famous uh, where we are. And, and one member of the group interjected the comment and, and said that if the church is to make its greatest impact, and certainly churches want to do the very best they can to have the greatest impact on their culture. And so this individual stood up, well, I don't know if they stood up, but they injected the comment and said, if the church uh, is to make its greatest impact on our generation, then it's got to become more worldly-minded so that we can understand this world. Well, on the surface, that, that doesn't sound half bad. I mean, if you want to negotiate with, with someone else, you have to know where they're coming from and understand uh, what they're doing and, and their experiences. And while in one sense that, that may bear a little bit of truth, in the biblical sense, that's absolutely false. The church never wants to become more worldly. We always want to become more godly. We always want to become more Christ-centered. We want to always be more kingdom-focused. We never want to embrace worldliness. As we've seen throughout this series of sermons, uh, the, the, the Scripture is clear. And it, and it really is abundantly clear from the very beginning when God formed Adam and Eve from the very beginning that, that God expects that his children not become entangled with the things of this world. The very, one of the early commands to Adam and Eve, you know, he, he didn't tell Adam and Eve, don't kill, don't steal, don't obey me. He told them, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents the things of this world, represents Satan. And so his admonition to Adam and to Eve was not to become entangled with the things of this world. Jesus said that, that he is holy. And because Jesus is holy, Jesus kept himself from all things evil. Because Jesus kept himself from all things evil, because Jesus is holy, it's fair for him to expect that his followers would be far from all things evil. And that's what today's message is about. Discovering life in the world, but not of the world. And folks, this is completely relevant. The world is pressing in on you every day through 
the news broadcast that you watch or listen to, through the social media that you watch or read or listen to, through the, the magazines and literature and the books that, that you read, this current world is attempting to form you and to mold you into its value system. Scripture says, don't do that. Don't allow that. Join me in 1 John <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 15, page 984 there in your pew Bible. John writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. That makes me want to stop and just ask, do I love the world or anything of the world? Do you love a particular athletic team? Do you love a particular automaker that you love Ford? You love Chevrolets. Stephanie and I went into a store yesterday, and you know that we're Cardinal fans. And the store was in the middle of Cardinal country. And we were walking through the store, and there was nothing in this store that was University of Louisville related. Everything was Kentucky-related, even though it was in the middle of cardinal country. And I was thinking, man, I'm offended by this. So finally, on our way out, I did see one little red cardinal with the letters UL on this one little iron cardinal, and I wanted to buy it, but it was $13. So I walked out without the cardinal. I love my cards. That's what I say. Do you love the world? Do you love your home? Do you love your evenings on the back porch when it's sunset? Do you love the mountains? Do you love going to the beach? Do you love your family, your relationships, your job, your career? John's pretty clear. He says, do not love the world or anything that's in this world. So that's fair to ask, what do you love? He said, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. That, wow, how do we balance that? How do we find the, the pray, place of equilibrium when we're told to, to not love this world in which we live, in which God's blessing us as we live here? Don't love the world, neither the things in this world, because if we love the world, then God's love's not in us. He says in verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and those are the, the personal happiness, the things of this world, the successes and accomplishments of this world that we might attain. He says, for everything in the world comes not from the Father, but from the world. So everything in our world that we see today, that we might strive for, attain for, that causes us to to find personal happiness outside of God that causes us to lust for things, houses, cars, jobs, or to strive for successes, accomplishments, acknowledgments, all those things. They're not from God. But what is it that we pray most about? Isn't it those things? God, help me get a new house. God, help me find a new car. God, lead me to the right job, the right boss, the right co-workers. What is it that we pray most about? It's really the things of the world, isn't it? If we're honest. And that stings just a bit. 
Because we don't like hearing that. And it helps us understand that, that I myself become misdirected in my affinities. That I lose track and lose focus. And so this counsel to us is good because it helps us realign ourselves. We unexpectedly had to keep our grandkids for several days. Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and took them home Saturday. And we took the kids home. My son asked me, Dad, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go home to sleep. Now, this was 1030 in the morning. I said, I'm going to go home to sleep. And my daughter-in-law just rolled her eyes like, yeah, that's what I put up with every day. Yeah, but I'm old. And she's young. But during our conversations, my granddaughter said something to me, and I said, spot on. She said, well, what spot on? Well, spot on. You, you know when, you, when, you, when an archer draws back their bow and, and they put that sight on that target, and that, when that sight aligns with that target before they release that arrow, that's called spot on. That when you release the arrow, presumably, if you don't wiggle, the arrow should strike the center of the target. Whenever we begin to love the things of this world, we are no longer spot on. Our spot on, our aim, our target is Jesus Christ. And so John is giving us this admonition about living life, not because he wants your life to be boring or dull, but because he wants you headed in the right direction. We, we, we travel in the direction in which we look and, and strive. So he's trying to help us here. And so he says in verse 17, the world, so the, the lust of the flesh or personal happiness, the lust of the eyes, which is things, or the pride of life, which is accomplishment, the things of this world, and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. Now when Scripture talks about the world, especially in this context, it's talking about Satan's realm. And, and the, the Apostle John wants us to understand that, that we live, move, breathe, work, establish ourselves, build our homes, raise our families. We do all of this in Satan's realm. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is on the throne. But Satan is relegated to this world, and he kind of has free reign. He can tempt anyone he wants to attempt. He can try to influence anyone he wants to try to influence. And he can attempt to cause a stumble and fall anyone that, that he might want to try to cause a stumble and fall. And, and he strives in this realm, which is his, to cause us to move away from God. And we know that, that God made the world and everything in it. That's what scripture teaches us. Acts 17 says that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So God made the world. This place in which you woke up this morning, God made it. The place where we gathered together this morning, God made it. I don't know if you saw this week, they thought they found plant life on, on Mars. You see that? the rover, and they found this little bundle of things that looked like yarn, like it might be weeds of some kind of root system from a plant that may have grown on Mars at some time. And, you know, that's fine and well. If it was there, it's because God put it there. Because God made the world and all that we see. God made all of it. The people who live in this world live in this world that belongs to Him. Now, God loves people. He loves the people that live in this world that's ruled and reigned by Satan. And so God sent Christ to die in our place. That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And I like that Scripture uses the word world. It's everybody. 
It's not just a particular race or tribe or creed or language. It's, it's everybody that resides on the face of this earth. God sent his son, that, or gave his only one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, we must be aware of, though, that, 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 that it is that there is also a world system that we live in, and this world system in which we live is headed by Satan. Our political system, all the structures that we see out there, all of these are influenced by, by Satan. And we have to be aware of that, that, that his living is based upon self and greed and pride. And this is the world, Satan's selfish, greedy, and prideful world that God is warning his children about here in 1 John. And this is a warning for really God's children only. It's not a warning for those who are far from God. It's not a warning or an admonition for those who are lost because honestly, it simply doesn't apply. Because if we don't know Christ as our Savior and Lord, we're bound and almost even surrendered to the influence of satanic forces in this world because we don't have the Holy Spirit residing in us because we never placed faith in Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. And this world system and this world philosophy it's what Christians are to remain free from. I mean, the Bible, Bible gives a warning in Romans 12. Scripture tells us, and Paul warned us, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So this world has a pattern, has a methodology, it has a system that, that exists within this world. And this system, this pattern, this methodology of our world is intentional. It's not an accident. It's by Satan's design. Says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed, be made into something different, into something else by the renewing of your mind. And then once our minds are renewed, then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. If a believer should embrace living in this world and living as this world lives, I mean, we can do that. And any believer can live in this world and of this world. But we have to understand that it comes as a price and with a price. If we're living like the world, then we're not going to have the mind of Christ. And that's a dangerous place because if we have the mind of the world, then we can never test or approve what God's will is. We will always be struggling with what is God's will for my life. We'll never be able to hear it. We'll never be able to sense it. We'll never be able to think it on the appropriate level that he would have us because we're, our minds and our thinking and our living is clouded because we've embraced the things of this world. And, and that's something that's very important for us. We should want to know what God's will is for our lives. Do you know yours? Do you know, if, if I could give you a pencil and a paper this morning, could you jot down in one or two sentences and say, my, God's will for my life is, and jot that out. See, Christ gave himself for our sins. He did that so that he might deliver us from the evils of Satan. But, but don't take my word on it. Listen to what Paul wrote in Galatians 1. Paul wrote, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this evil age. And he's writing to believers. 
It's believers that need rescuing from this evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Now, Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world that we're in by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And God's plan is that we all experience that rescue. Now, certainly not everyone will. Scripture teaches and affirms that not everyone will make it to heaven. Not everyone will accept Christ as Savior and Lord. There are many who will just walk away. But God's plan and hope is that none would perish, no, not one. This world in which we live is a great danger to our souls because this world and everything about it leads in one direction. Everything about this world and Satan's world system leads us away from God. It leads us away from God in our thinking. It leads us away from God in how we manage our finances. It leads us away from God in, in, in the relationships in which we involve ourselves and the employments that we have and the vocations that we seek and the relationships that we commit to. All of this around us, we have to understand that, 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 that God is rescuing us from this evil world. And we need rescuing. And Jesus went to the cross in order to accomplish that. We all saw this past June, the, the horrific floods that hit uh, south central Montana. I don't know if you watched the news as I did and, and, and watched the devastation of those floods in some areas of south central Montana. Rain fell at five inches an hour. I mean, that's five inches an hour. I mean, in three hours, you got 15 inches, five inches an hour. On top of all of that, the, the winter snow had begun to melt. And there were two to five inches of snow melt and ice melt coming down. So now instead of five inches an hour, you have between seven and 10 inches of water coming into south central Montana in an hour. From June the 10th to June the 13th, it was on every news channel. You had to have seen it. Unprecedented flooding just devastated parts of Montana. This led to additional flooding rarely seen before across many areas near Montana in the rivers and streams. And as darkness began to fall on Montana, the waters, it just kept raining. And the water kept rising. And first responders were doing all that they could to field all the calls coming in. And they were coming in by the hundreds in a sparsely populated area like South Central Montana. But they were coming in by the hundreds. Some rescues were air rescues where they brought in helicopters and lifted people out. Some of the rescues were water rescues where people went in with boats. Some people went in with four wheelers and threw life vests out and pulled people in. And, and we watched all this happen and people were panicking. I can remember seeing some of the scenes as people were trying to run from their town as the water was literally on their heels as they were running out of town. And, and because they were running, because death and destruction were on their doorsteps. I mean, in some of the news broadcasts, it was even on their heels. I mean, they were running from water. And as they were taking a step, they were lifting their heel up out of the flood water. I mean, they were afraid of losing their life. And they were doing all that they could to preserve their lives. And so they rushed the boats. They rushed out of areas. Everyone wanted to get into the boat at the same time to be rescued. Now throughout scripture, there are, are lines that are 
drawn in the sand between the people of God in this world. And there are distinct lines. There are clear lines in the sand that stand for the believer not to cross this line. Because on the other side of that line is death and destruction like what those people were experiencing in Montana. And and there's definitely a line between the world of unbelievers and the world of God's children. It's It's a spiritual line that's clearly discernible. We can discern that line in the way we talk, in the way we walk, in the way we eat, in the way we drink, in the way we converse, in the way we drive. It's evident to the world whether we're believers or not, and we never have to say a word. James 4 verse 4 says, Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? That word enmity is similar to the word disdain. To be friends with the world means to exhibit disdain for God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, James is writing to the church. He's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing this to Christian people. Now, that's something that we would expect to be said to a lost person. If you're a friend with the world, you're an enemy of God. But that's not James's audience. The original recipients of this letter are believers just like us. People place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but they've taken their eyes off the target, off the bullseye. They've begun to look at the world, the the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and all that goes along with it, and the pleasures of life. And as a result, these are, James is talking about Christian people who have a disdain for God. That, That doesn't sound possible. But that's what scripture is saying. That that means that that we place ourselves in a pretty dangerous position when we're in the world and also of the world. First John says to be in the world, but not of the world. But when we're in the world and of the world, as a believer, we're placing ourselves in a very dangerous position. The common thread in avoiding worldliness is the desire to conform one's life to God's will. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. That means that we intentionally and specifically turn away from the enticements of this world. We're called to an act of devotion to God that that shapes all that we are, that shapes all that we do. And we we, we might not see it right away, but understand the world is not a passive creature. If Romans 12, 1 and 2 helps us understand anything, it's that the world is trying to reshape you. And remember Romans 12 is also written to believers. People who, just like us, who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the world, even though your eternity is secure in heaven, the world is still attempting, trying to conform you to its way of thinking, to its way of living, to its value system. And that's dangerous. This world is not passive. It is extremely active. The world is Satan's world. And it's a rival for the allegiance of every person. God won't force us to be loyal to him, but he expects it. And we don't want to get our caught off guard here because for, for us, for dear faithful Christian, the, the hope of this passage, that, that for you as you're a servant in this church, for us to understand that we're going to face opposition in this world. You're going to face opposition to your values, 
You're going to face opposition to your freedoms in Christ. You're going to face opposition to your morality, to your spiritual commitment, to your kingdom endeavors. We're going to face opposition in this world. And anyone who wants to live all out for Christ, honestly, we're spot on for Satan. We have got a target in the middle of our forehead and Satan is aiming straight for our thinking and our feeling and our believing. Committed faithful believers, honestly, we're in for a lot of trouble and there's no getting around it because the world is trying to conform you to this world. Last night, Stephanie made some quinoa for supper. That's become a staple in our home and we eat it not every meal, but a lot of meals. We like it. We put different flavorings in it. But I got it. We had some left over last night, and it was about a serving. And so I got a container, and I thought for sure that this amount of quinoa would fit into this container. And so I scooped it in the container, but it was a little higher than the edge of the container, so I couldn't fully get the lid on it. So I took the back of my tablespoon, and I mashed it down. And I mashed down one side of the container, and I got the quinoa all in there. And I turned around the other side of the container, and I thought, well, I got that mashed down. But you know what happened when I mashed that side down? The other side squirted up. Now, you, a smart person would think, oh, you should only do that once. So I turned it back around. thought, well, maybe if I smash it a little harder. So I smashed it a little harder, and it just squirted out a little farther. That's what the world is trying to do to us. It's got a mold. It's trying to smash you into it. But the spiritual side of you, just like that quinoa, it's going to resist, or at least it ought to. When the world tries to force you into its mold, we ought to feel it and begin to rebel and say, no, I'm going out the other side. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Not to allow this world to conform us into its image, into its thinking, is exactly the life of Christ within us. And just as Christ's life with all its love and selfishness was mocked, those who endeavor to live godly lives and those who refuse to be forced into the mold of this world, you're going to experience criticism. You're going to experience opposition, maybe even persecution. Peter says you might even die for it. But don't let it discourage you. Persecution for your faith is proof that you're identified with Christ. Satan's not going to persecute his own. They're already going in the wrong direction. You didn't want to discourage them from going in the wrong direction. Now, the truth of all this, though, is that it's sometimes it's tough to, to navigate through life without getting pulled in. For those who have been to the ocean, you understand what a rip current tide is or what a, a rip current is. And, and when the, the sea begins to switch from uh, the tide coming in to the tide going out, it'll pull you out to sea. For a person who doesn't have... Uh, strong enough legs, it'll pull their feet right out from underneath them. For us, this world is like that ocean current. It's not always easy to figure out what's spiritual or, or what's worldly. I mean, so many things, particularly in our world, are th that are bad, they're disguised as good. I don't know if you read this week, uh, Cuba, a, a Catholic nation, an openly Catholic nation, just yesterday voted to, to begin to affirm same-sex marriage. Cuba, of all places. But we shouldn't be shaking our head. America did that 15 years ago. We should be looking at ourselves. But see, that's the way of this world. We want to look at Cuba and say, oh, poor Cuba, what a mistake they're making. 
We made it first. But we forgot that because the world has already got us desensitized to that just a little bit. It's not always easy to figure out what's spiritual and what's worldly. Things that are bad, we're told that are good. Things that are good, we're told that are bad. And we wonder, well, which is it? And I'm going to tell you, it's not always easy. And it's not always easy because we're in the realm of Satan. Scripture tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Satan presents himself to God's people as one of God's angels. An angel of, you have angels of light and you have angels of darkness. Angels of darkness would be the fallen angels that were forced out of heaven when Lucifer was forced out of heaven. The angels that remained with God that did not follow Lucifer remained the angels of light. But see, Satan was once in the realm of heaven. He once lived there. He once communed with God, saw God every day. Once he was created. Lucifer, his name means bright and morning star. Lucifer saw all that God was. And he hasn't forgotten. And he knows how to pretend. And so Satan, Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians, that he masquerades, he he. He plays charades and dress up and he masquerades as an angel of light to deceive people, particularly believers. He wants to trick us. I mean, he's the great counterfeit. So sometimes it is tough to to discern what's worldly and what's godly because sometimes they're, they're real close. And then you got Satan tugging on one side and he's the great imitator. It's not always easy to tell the difference between Satan's world and the realm where God reigns. I mean, this world, it pulls the wool over our eyes. Even those who ought to know better, Satan sometimes tricks us and deceives us. Now, we live in a time when Christian moral standards are are laughed at. Christians are tricked into believing that they can't enjoy life unless they're a member of the worldly crowd. And that's just not true. That's what the Apostle John is trying to head off in 1 John. Letting us know that that that's not better. The happiest people I know are those people who are separated followers of Jesus Christ. That are committed followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, Christianity flings open the windows of the real joy of living. And the world would have you believe that, that following Christ is nothing more than a list of thou shalt nots. The world that we have before us wants us to believe that Christianity is unnatural. That's not natural to surrender to God, but don't fall for that counterfeit stuff. It's a lie. It's a trick. Living in but not of this world is the best way to live. To recognize that, as Peter said, that that we're just foreigners and aliens passing through. This is not home. This is just a bus stop on the way home. And all of us who know Christ our Savior and Lord, we're on the bus on the way home. And eventually we're going to make it home. This is just a stopover. This is just temporary. One of my classmates posted on Facebook yesterday a a picture of himself when he was 17 and a junior in high school. And he's 57 today. And he said, where'd the 40 years go? I mean, they're gone just like that. And I thought, wow, where did they go? Some of your 67, 87 
close to 97, you're asking the same thing. Man, where did it go? That's just a, just a whisper, just a puff of smoke. Because on the other side of your last breath is your first breath, breath of eternity. This is just a stopover. This is just the place where we travel through to learn what God expects of his children, to know what we can expect from him because this is not home. But look how much time we invest in home. A lot less there and a lot more here. We're going to spend a lot more time there than we ever spent here. If we're lucky, we might spend 80 or 90 years here. But you're going to spend 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 years there for the rest of eternity. Jesus said in John 10 that there's a thief. That's good to know. There is a thief. And that thief wants to steal from you victory in this life, wants to steal from you your joy, wants to steal from you your happiness, wants to steal your testimony from you, wants to steal from you your walk with the Lord, wants to steal with you, steal from you your restful night's sleep. The thief comes only to steal. And if he can't steal it, then he's going to try to kill it. The thief only comes to steal and to kill. And if he can't steal it, and if he can't kill it, then he's going to destroy it. Destroy your home, destroy your marriage, destroy your relationship with your children, destroy this church. He's going to destroy it if he can't kill it, if he can't take it. If I can't take it, and if I can't kill it, Satan's philosophy is that you can't have it either and I'm going to destroy it. But Jesus said, that's not why I came. He says, I have come that they may have life. Who are they? Well, that's us. The people who know Christ as Savior and Lord. And not only that we might have life, but that we might have it to the full. Well, in what area of our life? All the areas. A full life is a full life. That's relationships with children and spouses. That's our vocations. That's our worship. That's our time that we invest in this place here called South Jefferson Baptist. All of it. He came to give life to the full. But do we get it? I mean, Jesus Christ left heaven and came to this earth so that we might have real and eternal life. And it's a far better life than we could ever have dreamed of. Those who have been fully converted to Jesus Christ know the meaning of abundant life. And what we have to understand is, as modern day believers, that, that worldliness is a force. It's a spirit that surrounds and fills the earth with opposition to all that is godly and all that is Christian. The world's goal is selfish pleasure, material success, and the pride of life. It's ambitious, it's self-centered, it's God-ignored and God-forgotten. The world is narcissistic. It's all about me or all about Satan. Now the truth is, either we're allowing the world to influence how we live or we're allowing God to influence us. If we're following the way of the world, then we're following Satan's cunning influence. And he's smart about how he does it. He doesn't come and knock on your door and say, hey, I'm Satan, come follow me, because he knows we would never do that. He tricks us with counterfeit imaginations and, and lies. But if we're following the way of Christ, 
then we're submitting to the direction of holy God. And that's exactly where we want to be. As an unsaved person, you were mired in the stagnant life of sin, particularly if you were an adult. And as unsaved people, we let the world tell us how to live. We filled our lungs with the polluted unbelief and then exhaled uh, disobedience as we lived in this world. But then, because we accepted Christ our Savior, we took our sin-dead lives and made them and was made alive in Christ. And he did all that on his own without any help from us. All on his own. Satan does everything he can to hurt the people of God. And honestly, his attacks are relentless. However, we're not left defenseless in the battle. God gives us power and victory over Satan. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We defeat Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Not in our strength, but in his. Human strength will never be enough. We need a power greater and mightier than we could ever be. A power greater, greater and mightier than Satan so that we can overcome him. And we do that by the blood of the Lamb. All of us. Even this church, we're involved in spiritual warfare. You're in it right now. You'll be in it when you leave today. And this battle between the forces of God and the, and the forces of Satan are very real. I mean, as you sit here this morning, you honestly are in the thick of it. Because we live in the realm of Satan. And that's why the admonition is, recognize that you live in this world, but don't be of this world. Don't smell like it. Don't walk like it. Don't talk like it. Don't eat like it. Don't have anything to do with the realm of this world in no way, form, or fashion. Christians ought to be different. The Bible warns us about being taken by the evil of this world, and we're asked to choose sides. And Satan's lies are cleverly mixed with truth to make it tough. We come in contact with the world, and yet we retain as God's people our distinctive kingdom character. And we refuse to let the world press us into its mold. And God has seen fit to entrust us with the work of his kingdom. And I'm grateful for that. We do kingdom stuff here. Not for ourselves, but to make God famous on this corner. And, and our responsibility is to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I mean, God loves this world as broken and messed up as it is. I mean, we sing it today that God is going to redeem this world. He loves this world and the people of this world and those that are his children. And he's going to redeem it. And he already has redeemed it through our Savior and seeks to save it. And so this passage is about discovering real life to live in the world, but not of the world. As Jacqueline comes and we sing a hymn of invitation, I mean, you've got to ask yourself, what do I smell like? Now, I don't know exactly what a Christian smells like, but I know they don't stink. Not spiritually and not morally. That we are a sweet aroma to our Savior. Let's stand together as we sing.
week we finished this sermon series about and discovering life living balance because there is a balance to the Christian life. And following that, on the first Sunday in August, a new series called He Is. And our first sermon will be out of Psalm 46 that tells us that God is our refuge. And we're going to think about uh, several characteristics of God. We know that He's holy and just and righteous, but He also has and other dynamics to his character that we want to think about, and that he's our refuge, that he's our protector and provider, uh, those kind of things. So that'll be the uh, new series taking us into the fall. Good to be together, amen? Yeah. Thank you. Nita, would you close us in prayer today?